Winnaker Weekly is a three-episode-in anime discussion podcast where two brothers discuss a show of their choice. The show can be anything from a current season flop to a decades-old classic. What are they going to talk about next? Who knows? They sure don't. I'm Lee. And this is Whitaker Weekly. Let's get right to it. All right. A uh, little bit of news this week. Uh, Konosuba's tabletop RPG was announced for Japan. Tabletop RPG. Now, I know about their... their. <clears throat> I want to say it was a mobile MMO. Or not, not MMO. A mobile, uh, they, ha- they have uh, a couple... I think they have a PS3 game, a couple of PS4 games, um, all of them Japan only. Mm-hmm. I think we might be getting one. I don't know if there's a mobile, but I do. Th- I'm pretty sure they've had a couple of crossovers with other big mobile games. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is a Konosuba tabletop RPG. Okay. Um, and, uh, um, it's only going to be about $16, uh, to buy it. Uh Um, but there's no word if it's being released in America yet. Right. Um, for me, that'd be a no brainer simply because of the incredible popularity that is Konosuba. Sure. And, uh, the popularity of tabletop RPGs that we're seeing these days. Yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah, and then a little bit of news that we both wanted to talk about. Yeah, we found some information about this on Kickstarter and on AnimeNewsNetwork.com. Yep, uh, I heard about it. Like, I follow, I follow Critical Role on social media, and um, and and uh, you've dropped their names on uh, creator shout out, creator before, shout outs, and, and things like that. Um, so I learned about this through through Twitter and through some other things. Um, but I decided to go ahead and just post the link itself to the Kickstarter campaign. Uh-huh. But they are doing uh, a Kickstarter where they started asking, they asked for $750,000 to make a 22-minute episode, uh, animated episode of Critical Role featuring the characters from Vox Machina, the, the mm-hmm. first campaign characters. Mm-hmm. Within 24 hours, they had raised over $4 million. Uh, yeah, uh, what I heard is... Um... That they're currently, as the time of recording, they're around $5.6 million, is that yes, right? Yes, let me go ahead and, I've got it right here actually. Okay. They are at $5.642 million. Uh, make that point six point four four. Yeah, $5.644 million. Okay. So. Now I understand, uh, according to this article uh, from <clears throat> Anime News Network, that they were, that one of their stretch goals was if they reached five million, they do a whole season. Well, um, what they're going to be doing is they're. Uh, the, I don't know if they've changed what the original show is going to be, but it was going to be a twenty-two minute episode of just an adventure that happened before the campaign actually started. Uh huh. Um, and um, <clears throat> but then as money like they kept bringing in more and more money, they decided to go ahead and add more stretch goals, and um. Like they have the, with the original twenty-two minutes of uh, animation, they now also have one, two, three, three more stretch goals that they've shattered. Where they're going to be making, uh, you know, three for so it should be four twenty-two episode um, twenty-two minute episodes right now. And now at the five point seven five million, if they break that, which is the next goal, and they're very close to breaking it, oh, yeah. they're going to be starting, um. Two forty-four minute episode, uh, um, uh, two forty-four animated episodes of a different arc, um, and it's the Briarwood arc, which is a very, very important arc, mm. um, in the overall development of the characters, and uh, in in Critical Role, and I'm very, very excited to see that happen. Okay, this is this it's a forty-five day, um, Kickstarter. Uh, that they, they decided to go for. They have 43 days left. I wonder if they're going to make... You know, I wonder if they're going to break their final... Um, well, yeah, I wonder if they're going to break their final uh, stretch goals. They're doing, they're, they don't even have the dollar amount listed for the last two. No, they don't. So, anyway, yeah. But uh, that's probably a good thing, though. But, you know, you... Some uh, I was just uh, getting into some other uh, things that you know the feature creep for certain uh, campaigns or certain uh, game development that is mm-hmm. crowdfunded just becomes this total mess because 
you know, they get more and more money. They think that more and more money is going to keep coming in and they don't budget and they don't plan correctly. And, <coughs> some, yeah. and sometimes it's a problem because mm-hmm. it's a miscommunication and you and funds get wasted during, yeah. during the creation process. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, when we, uh, when we get to creator shout out, we'll cover some of how I know all okay. that. But uh, no, it's really exciting to see Critical Role, uh, you know, raise so much money so quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, at least we know that the voice acting is going to be top notch. Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of, I just kind of hope. One of the great things about Critical Role is seeing the characters bounce off of each other. Mm-hmm. The actors just bounce off each other. So I would like them to give themselves the freedom to instead of just having one person per booth. Oh, they should do the Japanese style. Well, it's not just the Japanese style. Other shows do this as well. Sure. Futurama did it um, because the actors just have so much more fun bouncing off of each other. Yes. Batman the Animated Series did it as they, well. They did. Um, but all the voice actors together in the same room mm-hmm. and doing kind of what Konosuba did yeah. where they're just improvising. They improvise things and that just gets into the show. That's fantastic. So they'll still That's have the fantastic. script that, that they need to follow. Um, two, two other instances where I know that happened was um, John Cleese and Julie Andrews playing Fiona's parents in the Shrek movies. Mm-hmm. Got to record together, so they mm-hmm. you know, riffed off of each other a little bit. And then, you know, the the, the most uh, the, the the best one I could think of is when Kenneth Branagh and. Uh, Kevin Klein mm-hmm. did Road to El Dorado in the same room. Mm-hmm. Like, I fought your sister. That's a compliment. You fight like my sister. I fought your sister. That's a compliment. Uh, the, uh, there's actually video of them doing that, and they have mm-hmm. these paper swords going back and forth as they're saying these things to each other. Mm-hmm. It's like a fencing match between the <laughs> two of them. It's pretty awesome. Anyways, let's go to the next bit of news. Yes. All right. So, this also came up in my uh, Anime News Network feed. Um, Hello Kitty gets first Hollywood film by Warner. So for the first time, Hello Kitty is getting a movie produced outside of Japan. Hmm. Um, just going into some details here. Um, it's still <clears throat> in development. It's not decided whether it's going to be 2D animation, 3D, CG, or mm-hmm. some other. So they're they're, they're in the, they're in the very early stages of de- development for this. Oh uh, yeah, they're planning something. Okay. Uh, the world of Hello Kitty, the animated series, is slated to have a 52-episode run starting in 2021, uh, working with uh, Sanrio and a French animation studio, Manello Productions, mm-hmm. is uh, part of what this article reads. Um, but yeah, there's no... It's just announced that it's in wor- in works, but there doesn't seem to be a release date or, a, or even a plan for what medium it's coming out in. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I got a couple little girls who'd be thrilled to hear about this. Yeah, yeah, I think both your little girls would be very happy to hear about this, and little girls across America <laughs> would be happy to see it as well. Okay. All right, well, that's it for the news. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, get into three episodes in. All right. And this week it's my turn to pick. It I, is. I picked Captain Harlock. And after watching the first three episodes, I think they could have beefed up the synopsis that we got online pretty easily. <laughs> um, but the synopsis we found is the year is 20, 2977. Uh, mankind has become complacent and stagnant. All work is done by machines while humans spend their time on entertainment. <clears throat> yeah, that is the first part of... That, that is two sentences out of a seven-sentence minimum yeah. description. Yeah, I mean, like... Written. They don't bother to mention that there is an alien race that's coming, that's on its way to pretty much destroy Earth and take it for themselves. Or that our, or that our uh, title and, character is wanted as a fugitive from, uh, mm-hmm. from the entire Earth government. He's want, he's wanted because he, well, in order for the government to stay in power, they, you know, they have subliminal messages, and this happens all with like the first five minutes of the first episode. Yep, they put subliminal messages. Um, out there in their forms of entertainment to keep people thinking everything's okay. Yep. Um, and Captain Harlock rose against that and he fought against that and because of that he became a fugitive. Yes, he um, But he's also one of the only people that knows about the alien invasion and tries, he might try to convince people about it. Their people are so obsessed with recreation that they don't believe it. And we come to find mm-hmm. out sometime, I want to say mid-episode two... That he now that well no it's mid episode one I think it was episode one they, they no episode one they discover that um, there is a mysterious string of deaths of astronomers on Earth mm-hmm. and it is just 
Captain Harlock is framed for them. Yep, they just pin him on... Well, Rather than do any investigative work to find out what's really happening... They blame they, it on Captain Harlock. Because he's the easiest scapegoat that requires the least amount of work mm-hmm. to say it's his fault. And he has the... Uh, he's got the death sentence on him now. Yep. So if he ever goes back to Earth, he will be executed on sight. Um, and he goes back to Earth a lot in the first three episodes. Yes, he does. But anyway, um, so... Episode one, uh, it starts with um, with this ship in space, and suddenly they're hailed, uh, like uh, they're being hailed, and they turn on. Well, no, they're not even being hailed. They they're just suddenly approached. start hearing music from this ship that's approaching. Yes, they do. And it's a men's chorus singing, and it's uh, I didn't write down any of the lyrics, but I just thought, to, and they the crew started panicking immediately. There's like, what the crap is this? What's going on? And I just thought to myself, what a way. To announce, hi, we're here for you. <laughs> you know? And it just scared them witless. The choppers are fully loaded and the Wagner CD is installed in the... <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, and then, uh, like, they... There, there's this, uh, there's this military guy on, on the, on this ship, and he tells them to uh, go ahead and pretend to surrender because it's Captain Harlock who's coming, and he wants to have his chance at taking out the legendary Captain Harlock. Mm-hmm. And it cuts to the inside of the, um, of the, the bridge. Arcadia, the bridge, the, of, the the bridge Arcadia. of the Arcadia, and there is a young woman by the name of. Um, I didn't write her name down. But there's a young blonde woman, as there always was in shows of this era. Um, there's a little dwarf man um, who was the first mate. Uh-huh. And then there's Captain Harlock. Yeah. Um, and it's like they spent their entire uh, design budget on Harlock. <laughs> <laughs> and when we first get the full view of Harlock, it's mm-hmm. like, we just need to make sure you realize that this is the pirate. Mm-hmm. Because he's got a skull and crossbones on his torso, on his collar, on the back of his cape, on the, mm-hmm. on each of the belt buckles of both belts he's wearing. Mm-hmm. Just it's as if character design was this is a pirate, and everybody needs to know it's a pirate on first glance. So, um, so. <clears throat> Okay, so the uh, sorry, the I'm, ship... just pulling, I'm just pulling up my anime list, so we have yeah. the, uh, the the ship, characters. Yeah, the ship. Um, so the ship with the military folk hidden on board. K is her of, name. Yeah, K is her name. Anyway, sorry. Uh, they they surrender, throw up the white flag, as it were, and uh, but Harlock uh, and. Uh, well, the Kane conversation the, goes between Kane the first and, and the, the first, first mate. Uh, mate. I believe that's um, Yataran. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, "Oh wow, we won this without even putting up a fight. This is great. Let's go ahead and board them." And then, well, they, they mentioned to some of the fact of it's always <clears throat> this easy. Oh yeah, if only it was always this easy. No, that that it is always this easy. That, that nobody ever bothers putting up a fight anymore. Oh yeah, that's true. Okay, and, and then that's when Captain Harlock says, "Wait a second, because mm-hmm. something feels wrong about this one," and so he has them. Uh, fire space torpedo uh, space uh, harpoons at them no no no. The, he sends a scout out first he's uh-huh. like send a scout out and then as soon as the scout gets close then the uh the commander the the military guy in the other ship jumps the gun and starts shooting at that uh oh. starts shooting at the uh the scout and the scout goes back and he's like and like oh wow like uh you really saved us this time captain and then k uh fires the space torpedoes at them uh the harpoons the yes. harpoons thank you the fires the harpoons at them which fills their corridors with a special gas that freezes them in place. Yep, place. and that's For- another thing that I wrote down. Is and that's just kind of that's that is um, terrifying. I mean, what? A, well, not really. T- not if you're the one receiving it, it's terrifying. But at the same time, it's a super effective way to wipe out the enemy crew. Yeah, and not, you know, and not put your crew at risk. So. So yeah, it's not it's not a hundred percent clear whether or not mm-hmm. they died from that. We haven't seen any of them ever again since then, so I'm thinking they died. Okay. But at the same time, every death on screen death that we see is super over the top dramatic. Right. So um, like crazy over the top dramatic, which we'll get to, in episode <laughs> which we three. will get to in episode three. Um, and then um, 
they find this cargo room filled with food, uh, gems, and booze. And Harlock tells them to take all the food and then burn the rest. Or like, uh... Jettison. Jettison the rest. Yes. Um... And they do so. Which surprises mm-hmm. them, because there's all this... All this, uh... <clears throat> Valuable currency that they're mm-hmm. just going to forego. <laughs> you feeling okay? Uh, I got some allergies. Oh, sad. It's, it's, get, it's spring. It's getting to be that time of year. Yep. Anyway, um. Anyway, um, we learn that, uh, like, we then go to, like, a, we get the opening credits, uh, then, and we get the kind of the dialogue of the time period and what's happening yep. the year 2977 how humanity just is free to do nothing but leisure <laughs> because um they're uh um humanity is free to do uh, just to be yeah. leisurely all day long because machines do all the work for them yeah apparently they have 10 whole planets <clears throat> dedicated mm-hmm. to farming they literally call them planets one through ten yep and yeah they're entirely populated by robots Somebody's saying something about me. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, they're uh, just entirely populated by robots mm-hmm. who uh, who do who do all the farming for them. And uh, apparently, this was one of the this ship that they took the food from was bringing food from one of those planets. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, uh, they cut to uh, Parliament, and Parliament's in this uh, having this meeting discussing something or other that seems it should be important. And but then the Prime Minister just says, <laughs> and the Prime Minister just then says, um, "Well, hey, how about we go ahead and take a break for now, and we just uh, you know let's all, the let's races. go watch the horse races." And everyone's like, "Yeah, let's do that!" And so they all pull out these screens and just ignore what they were doing and start watching the horse races that they had all put money on. Um, and then this other military guy comes in who is a recurring character mm-hmm. and he says that Harlock is on his way and we need to prepare for his arrival. Uh, cause they, they have reason to, to know that he is coming mm-hmm. and that reason is revealed to be a little girl. Um, and that little girl, um, apparently Harlock has made a promise that he would visit her every year on her birthday. Right. And, and her, her birthday is the next day. Yeah. She's turning seven. Yep. Um, and, uh, Harlock. Now, up to this, at this point, Mm -hmm. we're introduced to some more and more characters, and we're introduced to this, uh, alien woman who seems to enjoy her drink, Mm -hmm. um, who plays a harp. And she's playing a harp while Harlock is fine-tuning and hand-carving an ocarina. Mm -hmm. And her name is Mime or something like that? Yeah, her name was Mime. And so, and so they're, and then they play this duet between the ocarina and the harp, mm-hmm. uh, which is the same theme song that the men's chorus. Is mm-hmm. It's the theme before. song of the show. It is, yeah, but it's still really, really nice to hear. Um, but they, uh, anyway, um, kind of cut a long story short. The little girl doesn't want him to show up. She's actually praying for her birthday to be pushed off by several years, which obviously isn't going to happen. Uh. Um, but then the headmistress of the school comes in and says, I'm here to take you to see Harlock. And um, the Lord was like, no, I don't want to, because uh, they're going to they're gonna try to kill him. And the, head, the headmistress is just like, well, you don't want, you want to, you, you're not going to break your promise to him, are you? Obviously manipulating her, because we saw a scene with her talking to the military guys earlier. Yep. And the little girl finally um, concedes, and she goes, and she gets dropped off in rather stormy weather. On on a bridge or like a dam or yeah, something. It looks it looks to be like a dam. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Harlock shows up and takes her to go see a grave. Yep. And he's saying, "Yeah, you're." Well, uh, he, he gives her the ocarina. Yeah, he gives her the ocarina as her birthday present. <clears throat> um, then they go down from what appears. So they start at the top of the dam, and some reason. Somehow they get to the base of it where she starts picking flowers, mm-hmm. and then they go, and then she drops off the flowers to a grave. Uh, mm-hmm. That, if you're paying attention, the grave, the headstone says the person died in 2970, and the current year is 2977, mm-hmm. and she's turning seven right now. Yeah, which makes me believe that it's her mother or something along those lines, or both her parents, perhaps. 
because she's been left in Harlock's care. She has been left in Harlock's care. We don't know what happened to her mother. We do know that her father passed away from uh-huh. conversations that happened later in these three episodes. And uh, so, if, if the but, listeners but, are wondering but a why name Harlock... Is, but a name is not shown yeah. on this tombstone. If, the, if our listeners are wondering why Harlock doesn't just take her onto her ship, that's revealed in episode three where she's saying, please take me to your ship. I, want, I don't want to stay here any longer. Is it two? It's episode oh, two. Anyways, it's not episode one. No. But in episode two or three, probably two, um, she says, please, I don't want to stay here. And he reveals to her that I can't. I promised your father well, that I would not let you on my uh, pirate ship. Well, episode so, episode two really delves into her story. Yeah. And, and it's her in almost entirety. And then she doesn't make an appearance in episode three. Yeah. It's how that, it's how that's <clears throat> structured. Um, anyway, so. um... Episode, uh, but yeah, and so but Harlock so, then gets arrested. Har- Harlock is then brought in after he's surrounded by tanks. Mm-hmm. So he, he's there alone with his little girl, and they have to bring tanks to surround him to arrest him. Well, obviously they're too lazy to give a chase, so they want to make sure they get him with the first go. <laughs> um, so they uh, So they surround him, they handcuff him. And they take him to this city, and they're about to execute him, when all of a sudden, the platform behind him, filled with very official-looking people, explodes. And it explodes from a gunshot from the Arcadia that is now in lower orbit, or not even in lower it's in the city, yeah. and it's clearing a path for Harlock's escape. Yes, it is. And all the uh, soldiers just run and flee for their lives when really a single one of them could have just turned and shot Harlock right then and there and ended it. Yep, but they're all too busy, but too I, docile, worrying about their own life. That's to... what, then that's the conclusion I came to, and because uh, I wanted to point that out, that they are, um, that in this future where humanity, all of their needs are taken care of and they're just used to doing leisure, all their needs are taken care of by machines, they wouldn't have the gumption to do that. I mean, them... Them running away as cowards, it just makes sense in the world that has been created for them because they don't need to be brave. Everything's taken care of for them. Yep. So when a situation like that comes up, they're going to run from it. True. All right. Um, so episode... So, so that's how episode one ends. Mm-hmm. Episode two is really <clears throat> about the little girl. Yep. It's focused on her quite a bit. And as plagued older anime... Each episode seems to have a completely different character design for certain characters. And the little girl, she's got the same dress, but her hair is completely different. Okay. Like, she used to have kind of kind of wildish hair, uh-huh. but now her hair is like a helmet. <laughs> so, anyway. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, this episode's all about her. And they're trying to get her to draw out Harlock. Uh, the, so she has been assigned by the headmistress that Harlock needs to contact the headmistress and help plan for her future because, because he is her guardian. And she knows that if Harlock comes to Earth, he will be captured and assassinated, and so she doesn't want to do it. Well, she's been ordered by the the uh, headmistress, and if she disobeys, she will have to be punished. Mm-hmm. And she tries to think, she, she, she can't bring herself to do it. She refuses ultimately despite how what's going on and so a uh, a different mistress is brought in to conduct her punishment mm-hmm. so the punishment that she's given is to uh scru- to polish the church floor using water from a hot from a spring that's quite a ways away from the church. And so she has to carry mm-hmm. buckets to and from the spring and get it done in a day. And she thinks she's almost done, but then that that mistress comes in and says, I can't see my face in the floor. That's what I want. And so she keeps doing it, and she's almost done. And she comes in, and she sees muddy footprints across the floor. Five boys in what appear to be some kind of soccer uniform or something. Some play clothes or whatever. And they're praying... And then she tell, she chews them out and they say, well, don't pick on us. I mean, don't yell at us. Talk to what's her name, the, the headmistress. I mean, the, the she told us to come over here and pray. So, while they were covered in mud. Yeah. So. And so now she just has to start all over again. Mm-hmm. And 
it's just established that her own stubbornness is keeping her from uh, from doing this. Meanwhile, um, great big a uh, great big sphere in the sky is causing problems for Captain mm-hmm. Harlock. It has destroyed. Uh, something has destroyed a fleet of ships from the ten agriculture planets, the ten farming worlds. Um, they're not quite sure what what it is, but those ships are all wiped out. Of course, the people on Earth are blaming Harlock for it. Um, yeah. But the um, and then they they kind of like and this is kind of established in episode one as well that there is this unknown object coming towards Earth. Um, and in episode two, we also learn that astronomers are being killed. Yes. Um, and that's, well, I guess they talked about that in episode they one. They talked about they, it in episode yeah, one, mm-hmm. and I was kind of confused at first because they show a shadowy figure of feminine body type with glowing yellow eyes. Uh-huh. And I thought, what is the alien doing assassinating people? Is she, and then she's in, and then <clears throat> a tall, slender, feminine alien with glowing yellow eyes is in Harlock's Nime is in Harlock's ship. ship. And so, because the character design matched so much, I was wondering, you know, who, why is Mime out assassinating people? Is this part of her character story? And then suddenly Mime's on the ship and doing nothing out of the ordinary for her. It's not the same character. Yep. But the character design is so similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, the, this, this, uh, they finally get a good visual on it, and it's this blast of this massive black orb. Yeah. Um, but, and, uh, this, the girl continues to clean and she finally finishes cleaning before the end of the day. Um, and that's when we have the leader of the military come up and, uh, you know, decided their punishment wasn't too harsh. Well, it wasn't harsh enough. Mm-hmm. And so he takes her birthday present and, and flings it onto the roof of the church that she was cleaning. Yeah, it lands on the crucifix atop mm-hmm. the church. And she, and he's like, now go ahead and call Harlock and have him come get it for you. Um, well, they didn't realize that she was stubborn enough to climb the church herself and get it. And it's a pretty steep steeple that the cross is on top of. And so when people notice her climbing up, they start crying out for her and saying, what are you doing? Get down from there. It's dangerous. You're going to kill yourself. Um, but she ignores them and there's kind of, it's this scene is, uh, has some cuts between itself and Harlock trying to attack the black orb. Yes. And he so un- the black unleashes a, bowl, a volley of like lightning beams or whatever they call them. And then whenever he fires it with, it re- it responds by sending out a magnetic wave trying to attract things to itself. And so they have mm-hmm. to uh, use whatever power they can just not to be pulled into it. Yeah. And it gets past Harlock. Harlock gets very upset about it and it crashes into the city. And, and it it's made cut. it look like it crashed on top of the little girl from how it was cut. Yes. But it just crashed in the city adjacent to where mm-hmm. she was at. And she's got the she grabbed the Ocarina, but then she started to fall. And wonder of wonder, miracle of miracles, she survives the fall because this black object, when it hit the earth, created massive amounts of wind from the shock waves. And one of those gusts of wind caught her and helped her land safely on the ground. And I couldn't help but roll my eyes at that. I'm just like, oh, the logic of 1970s anime. Because <laughs> uh, they had two options. One, they could have killed her right then and there. Mm-hmm. That's something that could have happened in the 70s anime. It's oh just, yeah, it could have. Just spend so much, mm-hmm. spend an entire episode getting you to appreciate and love this character. I thought that, I thought that was... That was gonna happen i thought yeah. that was what they were planning but because but she has some kind of plot armor because she's featured heavily in the ending credits yeah and so she's very important to uh to harlock right um and so there's just you you, you get the sense of plot armor and so there's there's sometimes it's okay to have plot armor on a character because then you have a sense of sometimes you want to give your audience a sense of yeah they're in peril but they're going to be okay mm-hmm. kind of uh the eel doesn't get her right now <laughs> I, i'm just telling you because you, you look, look worried. worried like oh, i wasn't really worried it's just more like concerned <laughs> okay um so, so that's the end of episode two 
It is. That ship crash, that whatever crash. So, so the she planet. the last time we see this girl in the first three episodes, she's not in episode two at all. Is she's on the ground, uh, busted up and bruised. Mm-hmm. But she's caught her ocarina. Now, something that we don't, something that we needed to go back to is, um, after the boys muddied up the floor and she had to keep cleaning, she start she was cleaning deep into the night, mm-hmm. and on one of her trips to and from the spring to get clean water, she is accosted by a wolf. Oh, that's right. And mm-hmm. so she's attacked by a wolf. And no one's around to help her, and she's pinned up against a cliffside as uh, uh, as the wolf is coming at her, and she cries out, "Harlock, save me!" And suddenly there's a knife in the thro- in the uh, mm-hmm. in the wolf's neck, and Captain Harlock is there, mm-hmm. and so there she is on Earth. Nobody was there to save her from the wolf, and everyone, every adult that she needs to rely on is out to get Captain Harlock and she is not safe with it. she she is physically safe but will perpetually her her loyalty to Captain Harlock will be tested perpetually while she's mm-hmm. here and she just wants an escape. She wants an out. Please bring me on your ship. And why doesn't he? And it's because he promised her father that he would never let her step foot on a pirate ship. So And so we find out that it's possible that the grave was for the father, maybe for mm-hmm. more than one person, but Possibly her mm-hmm. father, because her father was somebody who traveled with Captain Harlock before he became a pirate. Mm-hmm. And so. Okay, um, so next up, we've got the episode, and the episode introduces um, the Daiba family. Right. And we have got now, Dr. Daiba and his son. Now, we've seen them a little bit in clips as they're kind of introducing, like, in the first episode, as they're talking about different people different the uh, astrologers the object Earth. approaching mm-hmm. earth and the different astrologers dying mysteriously mm-hmm. being assassinated and then we see the figure the, the shadowy figure looming around their observatory huh. mm-hmm. uh so we've seen them a bit and we've seen the the young man what's his name the son uh it's is the last name is Daiba but huh. let me check what the first name is Come on. Oh, this is the movie. Let me go ahead and pull up the actual anime. Right. So we've seen the movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was actually curious to see, you know, I I tried looking up to see if there were any, who was a parallel character and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the young man who uh, is a kind of a much younger version of, of Harlock with the, yeah. with the same hair without the scar. Tadashi Daiba. Tadashi Daiba. Daiba. With a D. Daiba. I thought I said Daiba. I heard a T. Anyway, sorry. Well, I'm stuffy. Um, mm-hmm. Tadashi Daiba mm-hmm. is a uh, is in the opening credits as one of the. Um, uh, there's a uh, there's an ensemble shot of Captain Harlock and his most prominent crew, and he's among them. It's him, the blonde, the alien girl, and the midget, uh, hi, um, whatever his name is, the uh, uh, uh the, the 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 first mate, mm-hmm. the first mate, who. We don't even know it. Okay. What they did with the first mate in the movie was pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. But, because they, they, what they did in the CG movie was that they took all of these anime styles and then found the halfway point between the anime style and mm-hmm. what, what they would be caricaturizing if they were a real person. Look at that. <laughs> she has the head of an adult on the body of a child. Yes, she does. <laughs> Mayu. Mayu, that's the little girl's name. Anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, I was noticing that same um, that same thing when she was lying in bed and she just had the arms of a toddler and the head of a grown woman. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, 
Hmm. Which is just how Japanese six-year-olds are. Something that I was completely unaware of. It's, yeah, yeah, he's he's full of, of garbage, our dear listeners. Um, something that I just sorry, something I just really noticed that I think is kind of fascinating. Galaxy Express nine nine nine, set in the same universe as Captain Harlock. Interesting. Yeah, like uh, we know it was the same character design. Mm-hmm. Obviously, obviously. But like, if I click on, uh, well, yes, yeah, it's the same guy who made him. Mm-hmm. So, um, but if I click on Mimes, we see here. Her animeography, other shows she's been in, uh-huh. Galaxy Express 999 is one of them. I don't know if that's just some kind of a fun thing, but like, I don't, now, there was, I'll, I'll look into that more later, but let's go ahead and stay focused on the show. <laughs> something that she does is she drinks a special, a, a specifically strong bottle of alcohol, uh-huh. and then she starts glowing yellow. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And in, when we did Galaxy Express 999, there was a character made of glass who could glow yellow. Who ended up shattering in, mm-hmm. in that episode? I don't think it's the same character, but it just it it, it gave me uh, flashbacks. Maybe yeah, okay, I can see that. that. I could see that. Um, yeah, apparently her her species uh, they have they take booze as their food. Yeah, so uh, alcohol is just their main staple. Is alcohol their main staple? Um, anyway, so we're in the middle of episode three, mm-hmm. and. There is a huge problem between the government and the only two people who have a brain in their skull are astronomer family. Mm-hmm. So the, the so the so the giant sphere has crashed into the planet and destroyed a major portion of the city, and the fires are still raging, and the government hasn't called the fire department yet because it's tea hour. Mm-hmm. And it's against the law to send anybody to work during tea time. You can't send anybody to work during tea time. It's just not... Yeah. You don't do that. So you just let the city burn for another hour, and then we'll send people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ridiculous. That is that is the government they're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've met... Time and time again, we've met the, uh, the prime minister who takes his schedule very seriously he needs to get to bed early and get plenty of sleep so he can get up at 5 a.m to go golfing Mm -hmm. and he deals with the most important matters tomorrow night Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when when he'll make time for it he's so accustomed Mm -hmm. to climatize to Mm non-serious work schedule that he has no idea how to deal with a crisis Mm -hmm. and can't and won't yeah. So. Um, but anyway, um, they, uh, so the straw, the, the divas, they, they discover something. Uh, they're not quite sure what it is, but they record it to a data disc and they're going to take it to some place to get some clarification on what it is. Uh-huh. And, uh, the dad goes on ahead and that's when the dad gets killed. The dad gets assassinated by this person who's in a dark cloak. Uh, and you can see that it's the face of a woman, mm-hmm. um, this time around. Um, and this is what we were talking about earlier about the overly dramatic deaths because he gets shot only in anime and he just starts flying through the air and the, just <clears throat> listeners go and watch this episode, go and watch episode <laughs> three. You, you it, words can't describe just the level of detail that they put into this death scene, especially since this was the seventies and it was all hand drawn. It was amazing what they've done with this uh-huh. thing. This, I have never, only in anime can they get away with this, but I've uh-huh. never seen somebody take, I want to say two and a half solid minutes dying from a gunshot wound. It felt in longer. Mid-air. It felt longer, <laughs> but he was just flying backwards, and then they changed the camera angle, and then they changed the camera angle again, and all while did, he's still going. Aah! And then they did four, and then they did four split screens, but it was all one screen and all hand animated, and I, I it's, it's beautiful uh-huh. and ridiculous at the it's same beautiful, time. It's beautiful. It's ridiculous, and like those four ones are like just slightly different angles. Of the exact same fall, and finally, right before he hits the ground, he spins around and lands face down. Yeah, he he's, so he bounces or something. He hits the ground on his back, and then bounces face down. Mm-hmm. And during that entire time, um, so this is another thing that only seems to happen in anime. Mm-hmm. He's shot through the chest with a blaster bolt. 
<coughs> it goes why, straight through him. It goes straight through him. Why is his cloak disintegrating from the fringes? Uh, yeah, it's it's it only happens in anime where this. Sort yeah, of thing my mind my mind read it as that the force was so strong from getting shot that his clothing started started ripping. Um, but anyways, one thing that stu- stuck out in my mind is how we see the body now, and anime doesn't usually shy away from this. But where's the bullet hole, <laughs> or where's the hole in him? Yeah, because uh, it goes clean through him. It does. It's um, pretty gra- It's it starts off mm-hmm. like it should be graphic. Yeah. But Tadashi then comes in, sees his father dead on the ground. He starts wailing and, you know, uh, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. And then from behind him, uh, a pair of hands grips his neck. Yep. Which, and I just thought to myself, you have a gun. We know you have a gun. Was it a one-shot thing? Why didn't you just shoot him? It might have been a one-shot thing, especially if, um, especially if uh, she says the assassin of of the caliber, which she is. That, uh, I don't know. I, anyway, I was just trying to think about, about just, yeah, that she didn't necessarily plan. It seems like she didn't necessarily plan on using the gun more than once. Possibly. I don't know. But she's strangling him. And then as she's strangling him, she gets shot and she collapses over dead again, very dramatically. And, and then, she and then we find out the, t- we find out the title, uh, the title of the episode is, the woman who burns like paper. Mm-hmm. And that f- expression keeps being used over and over mm-hmm. again through this episode. And, and this is that woman. And it turns out that it's Harlock who shot her. Um, and she, when she hits the ground, she just starts burning. She ignites in this mm-hmm. blue flame that engulfs her entire body. And then when the flame <clears throat> finally goes out, there's just a large pile it's of ash. a pile ash. of ash, yep. Um, gray ash with, that's burned in swirls. Mm-hmm. And, uh... The boy was wondering who he is because the viewer knows that it's Captain Harlock. And, like, even though we see him completely in shadows, they decided to make his uh, his uh, his Jolly Roger, his skull and crossbones. Uh-huh. Um, Apparently, even when he's there, silhouetted, the skull and crossbones mm-hmm, is clear. You see the present. skull and crossbones. And he tells the, the boy that if he wants answers, take that data disks and put it in uh, the computer ahead of you so you, you can see what's going on. And the boy starts freaking out, and he's like, but my father's dead, and Harlock then just says, if you're a man, you'll make time to grieve later. Do what needs to be done now. You'll do what needs to be done now before you need to grieve. Mm -hmm. And so he goes, and he grabs the disc, and he puts it in, and we see what used to be a a star system, apparently, where it's now just a massive black cloud. Um, And uh, Harlock says that it's, I forget the name of the enemy race, of the alien race. Yeah, uh, I think says it's like a Maloney. Huh? I think it was like a Maloney. M-L-O-N-E. Malone? That doesn't sit. We can look it up, but while you're looking it up, I'll go ahead and just say this alien race um, turned this entire solar system into this black dust, and they then sent one of their ships here to do the same to Earth. They said, if you want to, um, if you want to do anything about it, meet me here at these coordinates at this time. And then he goes off. And, uh, then the next bit, the boy goes and, um, you know, Mazone, that's who it is. I was like, I've got my my anime list pulled up right here. It's Mazone, M-A-Z-O-N-E. Yeah. Which is, wow. So you were, you were really close close to being right. One letter off. One letter off. Um, but, uh, so it's the Mazones or, uh, and Mazone. they, um, Mazone, if, uh, I'll have to listen to how they pronounce it in Japanese. I really wasn't paying attention too much to it. Also, it's an older recording, so it's kind of harder to, to tell sure. just because of the audio, uh, the audio quality. Anyway, they, um, <clears throat> the, uh, uh, so the boy, uh, Tarashi, uh, he goes to uh, the coordinates and he finds the Arcadia. And he's instantly brought in by Kay and this robot. First time we've ever seen this robot. And she goes in and she brings him onto the ship. And he... Uh, and uh, this is something that I kind of wish that I had in real life. Uh, they did this in episode one, but I didn't make a note of it until episode three. 
when they showed it again. But she just kind of stands there and this, like, this arrow appears under her feet and carries her. Yes. And I'm just like, I want one of those. That would just be so cool. But she's going through the ship and she's introducing him to the crew members and the first mate. And the first mate is this little doofus who loves making plastic models and if he's unless it's a very serious situation you can always find him working on a plastic model or something like that yes and then they go past like the chef and the cook or sorry the cook and the doctor are arguing and threatening to kill each other because apparently because what happens is harlock in episode two they introduce harlock's bird which is this hideous looking vulture Vulture thing that, with that, like that, a that single cause, line drawn for the neck. That cause in the sound of an alarm. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it, so it, it, its voice is the alarm sound on the ship, mm-hmm. apparently. And so it's it's flying away with a bird with a fish in its mouth. And this cat is running away with a fish in its mouth. Both of them seem to have stolen from the, the chef, who's running after them with knives. And the cat is the property of the the doctor mm-hmm. and so well and she's not she's not cat. threatening the bird she's only threatening the cat she knows better than to she knows better than the ha- threaten captain the harlock's bird than to threaten captain harlock's bird um but and so they start arguing and stuff like that and then he's going through and he just sees all these just this ragtag crew just like sleeping in the halls and like you know goofing off and not doing much and he's got this look of, what the crap have I gotten myself into? Like, what is this? And I just, like, and Daiba, uh, Tadashi's distrust in the crew is completely believable. Because up until now, he's only seen... Goofballs. Goofballs. He's only seen people who prioritize leisure over everything else which is no different from the entirety of the world that he's from well that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying uh that he's only seen that in his life up until now when the alarm goes off though and he sees them leap into action that's what the big difference is as opposed to say oh it's tea time we can't send people to work during tea time it's illegal it's that leisure isn't bad but when it's time to take things seriously, you take, you things, take serious. things seriously. Mm-hmm. And so that's the difference. Mm-hmm. And the alarm goes off, and uh, he goes to the bridge, and he sees Harlock, um, realizing that it's Harlock finally. Um, and, uh, well, the, the guy who saved him was uh-huh. Harlock. Yes. And they are being attacked by a group of the Mazone. Mm-hmm. And um, they send out fighters to go ahead and sh- uh, uh, fight off these little fighter jets that have come. And they start using their ship's defenses and things like that to take out the bigger ships. And one of the ships explodes close to the view windows of the bridge. And he sees this beautiful woman in the cockpit um, in screaming bl- out in pain as her ship explodes. With blue skin. With blue skin. And uh, they say, well, they all look like, well, and they say this earlier. I think it's something that Kay yeah. says. Kay says, um, they call, look. They, they call them the women who burn like paper. Yeah. Because they all look like beautiful women. They're not women, though. We yeah. don't know what they are, but they're not women. Yeah. Is what she says. And then he says, wait, that one had blue skin. And again, Kay says, we don't know why, but as soon as they come into contact with Earth's atmosphere, their skin turns white. Yeah. But that's what they are normally. They're normally, they're blue skinned. Um, and after they fight everybody off and, uh, Harlock, um, and they're able to use some of their more powerful guns to wipe out some of the bigger ships, uh, Harlock invites him to join the crew and to avenge his father. And that's the end of episode three. That is. Episode four apparently is going to be him thinking about joining and probably eventually joining because his life is now in danger and he's got nowhere else to go. Right. Now... Is that is he the is he named the same as the character in the movie that is no. that joins the crew? No. Okay. Uh, the movie is also very very the plot for the movie is also very different than the plot for the show. Yes, it it, it absolutely mm-hmm. is. It seems to be an homage to the show mm-hmm. that borrows the characters but t- tells a completely different story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that happens in the show is that they kind of imply that Captain Harlock is immortal, but the main but the uh, the, oh, the point is. of view character. The point of view character, who looks like Captain Harlock only without the eye patch and the scar, over time gets a scar and needs an eye patch. Yeah, and so it's kind of he becomes the next he Captain becomes, Harlock. Mm-hmm. And so you know it's kind of 
just to go back to the mm. Princess Bride references we've been going on. Yeah. And that I mean, it's like the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, and that's I think that's how that movie interpreted it. But yeah. unless and I plan on watching the entire the, the entire show at some point. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not a priority for me right now just because I've got so many other things to watch. Right. But I enjoyed the first three episodes. I thought they were great. I'd like to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. But for I do know that uh, Harlock and the alien Mima or Mime, uh-huh. uh, she's the one who gave him the technology to make the black or the dark matter engine. Right. And that was over a hundred years before the start of the show. Yeah. That was a hundred years ago. So, so, so either they were already including, um, fast and light, uh, time dilations. differences, time yeah. dilations, or he's immortal because of the, because of the, the powers or, of the ship or just a very extended long life. Yeah. Or an extended long life. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other, yeah, it's just, <clears throat> Um, it's a very interesting, very interesting show. Yeah. Uh, but both, both of them are very interesting, very unique, different enough from each other that they don't, uh, and then that's something else between, that is a major difference between the shows. Cause if you've seen the movie, it's kind of hard to adjust to Captain Harlock in the show because in the movie he is so grim and stern faced and stoic that when you see Captain Harlock smirk, the very first time you see his lips, he's in a he's smirking. And it's like, is this really the right character? <laughs> like, but no, this is the original. Yeah, that's the original. And, and no, yeah, Captain Harlock has no problem smirking and just having a bit of a superiority complex when it comes to because he is better than everyone else. Yeah, and he knows it, and everyone else knows it too. Yeah. Um. Anyway, well, I it's weird. Like, I'm not quite sure how old he is. Like, again, I'm gonna watch plan and watching the show. But yeah. Kay is his niece. Okay. Um. K is his niece. He's got a wife. He had a wife at some point. Um. And if he had a wife, that means, or if he, if K is his niece, that means that he had another sibling, either a brother or a yeah, sister. Either he had a sibling or his wife did. Or his, or his wife had a sibling. Um. And if he's over a hundred, what does that make K at this point? You know, like I don't know. Again, we're gonna have to just kind of have to watch the show and see, right? Uh, see how it unfolds. Okay. Um, I mean, this show is older than us. It is. I mean, one of the reasons you picked you picked it last week was because the news we've dropped was that uh, they were doing a uh, samurai version of it as a web comic, as yeah, a web manga, mm-hmm. uh, in honor of the 80th birthday. Of, of the, the creator, creator. Mm-hmm. So. of the creator of all these shows from back in the day, um, even this show has its own spinoff, uh, like um, uh, something Emerald. Um, she's this woman pirate who has a scar almost identical to Harlock's, but she has her own ship. Yeah, yeah, uh, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. But uh, Emeraldus, like Captain Emeraldus, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, I'd like to watch the show. I just don't know when I'll find the time for it. Right. Okay. Couple other things in the way. All right. So I th- I, I had actually watched episode one like many many months ago, many years ago. Uh huh. And but I never finished it. I I had only gotten to the point where they had a. I think they got to the point where just before they arrested <coughs> Captain mm-hmm. Harlock. I mean, I didn't. Mm. The first time I tried watching it, but I'm glad I got through the first three episodes this cool. time. Okay. Well. Uh, it's your pick for next week's three episodes in. Okay, and I was browsing around trying to find something interesting to watch that is something we hadn't already seen, and I kept stumbling on things like uh, Nanbaka or uh, just a whole slew of things mm-hmm. you and I have seen before, and then I came across this one, and it seems adorable, and I'd like to give it a try. Mm-hmm. It's called My Roommate is a Cat. Okay. Synopsis reads, The story of... Mikazuki Subaru, a novelist who is shy and struggles in relationships with other people, and a cat who is dumped by humans and lives a tough life on the streets. Through a twist of fate, the two of them end up living together. This heartwarming tale illustrates day-to-day life through the eyes of both man and cat. These moments seem trivial, but as they build upon themselves, the two become family and find happiness in the life to get, in their life together. Awesome. All right, well, that's it for three episodes in. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to Recommendation of the Week, and it's my turn. Yes. And I'm going to go ahead and recommend a game series that is near and dear to both of our hearts, Ultima. It's true. You can get this entire game series for dirt cheap on GOG, on Galaxy of Games. 
um, you're pulling out like we, we we record a video for our patrons while uh, so they can go ahead and uh, look at our handsome mugs while we're uh, talking about anime. Uh-huh. And he just pulled out the collector's edition box for Ultima Nine, the final game in the series. Um, this giant thing, really. It is an epic. You know, there's there's over a dozen games in the series. There's the main numbered games. There's the spin-offs. Um, it was made by a company of the name of Origin that unfortunately is no longer around because EA is evil. <laughs> um, but they, uh, oh hey, a cloth map. Yes, the cloth map that comes mm-hmm. with uh, the Ultima series. That was that was just a staple of the Ultima series box set is that they would create these cloth maps. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what would happen in the game is they'd actually have these, uh, um, these, uh, they, they, they have these anti-piracy uh, quizzes where mm-hmm. they would ask you questions that you could only be answered if you had the materials that came if with the box. you had the booklets and stuff. And, mm-hmm. one of the th- and um, they would ask you about the land... the randomly ask you the latitude or longitude of things on the map. The majority to- of these games came out before the age of the internet. And so, so when that stuff was widely available on like GameFact.com and whatnot. Yep. So it was pretty easy to beat once the internet became came around. Mm-hmm. And these days, it's just sort of a commemorative item instead of uh, a commemorative item plus anti-theft mm-hmm. features. I mean, the last game came out in what? 1999, 2000, something like something that? Something like that. So that means it's 20 years since we've had a brand new Ultima game. But these games were huge for their time. They're still big. Um, I just... If you're a fan of older games and you've got a computer that can, you know, if you, if you have a potato that you use for a computer, you can play the Ultima games. Uh, you can get them for cheap. Um, and I still remember the first time I robbed the Mint in Ultima 7 The Black Gate. <laughs> it was awesome because you can do things like that in that game. It's a completely open sandbox game. It's true. And... So, and uh, we were very young at the, when we first started playing well, it. We didn't fully grasp the uh, the way that the storytelling worked, but yeah, we had a ton of fun just goofing off in those games. It's so true. Uh, okay, so yeah, that's my recommendation for this week. Now let's go ahead and go to our creator shout out. Okay, so the creator that I'm going to give a shout out to goes by the name of Frederick Nudson, and he has a series on YouTube called Down the Rabbit Hole. And he does these in-depth um, reviews on content that he's found. Um, one of which that I've uh, listened to was uh, about um, oh, uh, Star Citizen. About the video game Star Citizen. And how the uh, one of the producers and co-creators of Wing Commander had launched a kickstarter for his for this and just the depth of the problems that came through throughout production he started over promising and under delivering mm-hmm. um they wanted to have a game that was both uh pvp um first person shooter but could also go into being uh dogfight space combat okay. and you could go back and forth and had seamless transitions from from landing a ship to launching it up and going out of the out of world and into space. I remember this, yeah. Um, and then other games, you know, tried to beat them to the punch, like uh, No Man's Sky and things of that nature. Mm, no Man's Sky wasn't really trying to deliver on that same stuff. No, but anyway. no. But what happened was the Kickstarter for Star Citizen started before No Man's Sky. Yeah, and No Man's Sky released before. Did Star Citizen ever even come out? Star Citizen has come out in various iterations, according uh-huh. to this video that I watched, um, and that it's and that apparently they really shaped up their production close to the end of what whenever this, whenever this video actually came out, that they were really mm-hmm. shaping up and actually meeting deadlines and mm-hmm. and uh, producing what they were going for. One of the problems was that they spent millions of dollars of their Kickstarter funding on the first person shooter aspect, but had miscommunicated scope and scale with the 
with the third party developer they had worked with. And so they had to scrap the whole thing because it was built in the wrong Ouch. engine and it was built in the wrong so the wrong scale. That so reminds go me back and of forth. the and so, fiasco with the bosses in Deus Ex. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but okay. But, uh, but yeah, uh, he did that. He's, uh, but no, I've been watching a lot of down the rabbit hole. It, it, um, one episode that was really fascinating was, I didn't know about this. It was the, uh, the Nim, uh, rat utopia study okay uh basically uh the novel for the secret of nim was based on an actual study that figured out that this guy says what would happen to rats if they had if they were in an environment that was a completely enclosed safe from predators b <clears throat> they had enough room for five thousand rats or five thousand yeah i think it was rats and uh c an unlimited supply of food what would happen to them mm-hmm and then, so he conducted the study, and uh, the, according to uh, the rec- the results, the rat population basically suicided after so many generations because they were in such a tight, enclosed space that, um, and all of their needs were provided for, mothers were abandoning their offspring as soon as they were weaned, and so mice were being born who only knew to abandon their young when they were weaned mm-hmm. and so it became there was a sudden decline in population until there was none left hmm. Hmm. because they because rat instincts survival instincts in the wild require them to behave in a certain way that propagate that pro- propagates the species that in a utopian society those it creates um a behavior sink Mm-hmm. So the, so they start behaving in ways that are not actually beneficial to themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was and one of these studies. Uh, one of the, so he started doing these studies. This scientist, and one of the studies at the near the end of it was a two and a half year long study that was financed by the National Institute of Mental Health, NIM. And so the secret of NIM was based was a novel based on, wow, that study. Okay. And. Uh, and so, just the pop culture relevance of this study. Uh-huh. I mean, Philip K. Dick references this study in some of his works. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of... Huh. So, this this study came out in, the, I want to say, early 60s or something, but a lot of sci-fi dystopias reference it as, you know, people trying to make utopia and something's wrong. And so, yeah. it's a dystopia. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, so, before we wrap up, there's a thing that I brought up with... Uh, Deus, or Deus Ex. Deus Ex. Um, so Deus Ex Human Revolution was uh-huh. the reboot of the Deus Ex series back in, I want to say, 2012, something like that. I don't exactly remember the year that it first came out. Okay. Lots of fun. Great game. Um, except for the boss fights. The great thing about Deus Ex, when the first Deus Ex hit in, like, mid-90s, early 2000s, whenever it came out... Mm-hmm. Um, you could build your character any way you wanted, and there were multiple paths through these first-person levels. There was nothing had ever really existed like that before. If you wanted to be a hacker, there were multiple ways for you to hack your way through the level without ever, anybody ever actually seeing you. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to be a tough run-and-gunner guy, you would just increase your character's body armor to where you know, you'd be able to absorb more damage and be more accurate with your guns. Um, uh, so there's multiple ways to play the game. That's the, what they did with Deus Ex Human Revolution. Well, the third party that they hired to make the boss fights did not know what game they were working on. They thought it was just a standard first-person shooter. So every single boss fight in the in Deus Ex Human Revolution was a run-and-gun boss fight. So what? <laughs> so you had to only you. So you had to pick a path to beat the bosses. Yeah. And it wasn't an option. There were there weren't other options around. There him. were not other options around him. That's they the problem. fixed it in the director's cut. Uh-huh. Like if you became a hacker, they actually put like turrets in and things like that, things for you to hack and places for you to booby trap and stuff like that okay. to where the boss would run into it. <clears throat> but the people who first the people who made the boss fights at first had no clue what game they were making. Uh-huh. They thought it was just a standard first person shooter, so that's what they made. Right. They made standard first person shooter boss fights. So Speaking of boss fights, I got into the dungeon of Castle Hyrule and got the shield. Nice! Which is behind a boss fight of a giant skeleton cyclops thing. Those things are easy, though. They are. Yeah, they're easy. Anyway, especially compared to the Lionels. 
which I've gotten actually pretty good at fighting. Cool. All right, well, thanks so much for listening in this week. If you listened in on YouTube, please feel free to like this episode and subscribe to our channel. If you like what we do and want to support us, please spread the word of our podcast or even support us on Patreon. Where can they find us on social media? Well, they can find us, if they go to our website, WhitakerWeekly.com, they can find our current our links to our Facebook page, our Twitter account, our Patreon page, and our YouTube channel. We encourage all our listeners to follow us on the social media platform of their preference, and if there's one we're not on yet, please reach out to us on one of the ones we mentioned, and we'll broaden our scope to include you. All right. Well, I want to give a shout-out to Ben Coombs for providing the artwork for our podcast and website. And another <coughs> shout-out to Brazmataz for their song, Dry Kolk, which we use for our open and closer. All right. Well, that's it for the another week. I've been Andrew. I've been Lee. And this has been Whitaker Weekly. You guys have a good week.